Hey friends, welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. My name's Jody Stevens, and we're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. So in this show, we dive in, we talk about the physical, emotional, psychological, medical, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. So we're going to be talking about empathy today. What is empathy and why is it important in the recovery process? So again, I'm Jody Stevens, joined by my husband, Aaron. Hey, everybody. You've been sober 19 years, honey. 19 years, seven months, whatever the heck it is. There's an app for that, you know. So coming up June 14th, I'm going to have 17 years sober. 17 is a long time. <laughs> so what is that? What is that together? Oh, you know, 36, over 36 right now. 36 years. I mean, think about what the world was like 36 years ago. What was the world like 36 years ago? So that would have been, what year would have that been? It would have been not in the 1980s. No, wait a minute. That would have been in the 1990s. <laughs> no way, we're not that. Are you serious? It would have in the been 1990s? in the 1990s. Yep. Oh my gosh. We've learned a lot, you know, together in the recovery process. That's for sure. They say that when you meet and get married in recovery, you know, sometimes that's not the best idea. But for us, it really worked out good, you know? 36 years ago was actually 1986. So it was in the 80s. So in, in 1986, so I was born 72, 82, 83, 84. So I would have been 14. So in 1986, at 14 years old, that was kind of the pivotal point. Like that's when I first right. started drinking and that's when I first got into my alcohol addiction. And what was crazy about it was that I was actually treating an anxiety disorder that I didn't even know I had. <laughs> You know, and to get back to your question before we got off on the 1980s thing yeah. about, you know, the reason why so many relationships that occur in sobriety don't work is because you're talking about being 14 when you start drinking. Yeah. You freeze there emotionally. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest one of the biggest consequences of being an addict, and frankly, this is a societal problem now, is that you just, you never learn empathy. You never learn how to actually give a rip about other people. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's it's all about me and taking care of my needs. And if you look at all the advertising that's been shoved down our throats for the last 30 years, when they're not busy pushing a social agenda, they're basically telling you to go and get everything you can get for yourself while you can get it. And you wonder why we have a generation where narcissism is so prevalent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And we see... Also, you know, COVID didn't help, you know, because you already had young people stuck on their phones and not really being, you know, connected to others. And, and you really have to be connected to other people to learn to develop empathy. So you, you kind of have that. And then you had this isolation that added even more onto that. So empathy is what we're talking about. What, you know, what, why is, well, what is empathy? Why is it important in recovery, not just addiction, but general mental health recovery, period, and, and why empathy is so important. By the way, please share this show with anybody you know that is struggling. You can also leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening through. We're on like 20 apps. Of course, iTunes and Spotify, and you can listen on Podbean. You can listen on my website, Jody Stevens, J-O-D-I-E, jodystevens.org, or find me um, on social media. It's Genuine Life Recovery on Facebook and also on Instagram. 
So first of all, defining empathy, right? Most of us know what that means. It's just the ability to sense others' emotions or imagine what somebody else is feeling. But it can also just be cognitive, too. So there's there's different types of empathy. So cognitive, right, is just that you pretty much know that what you know what someone else might be feeling right so right. you may not feel it emotionally like you could see a homeless dude and be like man i know i know intellectually that that must suck right but even though i don't feel it and so sometimes a lot of people that don't have a lot of empathy just because that's how they're wired, they can learn what's called cognitive empathy. Uh, it's a little harder <laughs> when you don't have the emotional side of it, right? But it is still a form of empathy. And then there's, of course, emotional empathy, where we can really put ourselves in the other person's place. And I'm more like this, where I can actually feel what they're feeling. So I am i don't think I'm one of those empaths. You know, they always talk about how there's empaths. But I, I feel like sometimes I'm pretty close. And that's where you kind of have to be careful, right? Because then you can get into being super codependent and, you know, having poor boundaries and stuff like that. And then there's compassion, which is really like what Jesus had in the Bible, right? Where he was actually motivated to do something about it. So empathy is the feeling, compassion is the action, right? You know, how we how we would read in scripture where it would say, you know, Jesus felt compassion on them, so he fed them, or he did this, or he did that. Empathy is important in addiction. It's important in mental health, and and it's important just basically in the recovery process, and especially in addiction recovery, because if we don't learn to develop empathy right, we're going to have a hard time with relationships, and we're going to have a hard time connecting with other people. And obviously, in recovery, one of the roots of addiction, there's a lot of different roots, but one of those is just lack of connection, not knowing who we are, you know, isolation and stuff like that. And so that's why developing empathy along with all the other facets of mental health recovery, developing empathy and having empathy is super important. You're going to find with a lot of people that are in sobriety that are in recovery or trying or struggling with it, they had parents or loved ones that didn't give a rip. <laughs> right. And, you know, let's let's be real. Lack of empathy means you don't care, you know, so that you, you, you'll find people with a gigantic emotional hole or that sort of stuff like that. That, And, of course, a lot of people, they compensate for this dysfunctional behavior by adopting the exact same dysfunction in their own life. Mm-hmm. Our relationship would have never worked if if we were not able to show empathy to each other. Right. Because you can't let somebody li- – you can't live and let live without empathy. When you don't have empathy, it's always black and white. It's always, you know, win or lose. It's always on or off. There's no negotiation or tolerance or acceptance of the other people right where they're at. And that's the societal disease. That's why the word narcissism is, ro- is, is rolled around so much mm-hmm. because – Narcissism is an extreme example of selfishness in my way or the highway, which is the exact opposite of actually showing some care and regard for other people. And, and the beauty of the, the 12 steps, right, is that the ninth step teaches us empathy, whether we realize it or not. Because mm-hmm. when we're out making amends to people, we're cleaning up our mess. We're actually being forced to learn some empathy because when you're making your amends, you get to see how you made the other person feel. 
and you have to be a complete heartless jerk. Actually, if you were that disconnected, you probably wouldn't even be trying to get sober. When you watch that happen, it pounds empathy into you. The other thing I think that's a huge barrier to empathy is, is the absolute lack of humility that's taught in society. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. Well, when you're, <laughs> yeah. When you're running around being so perfect or so awesome, how, how could you ever give a rip how anybody else feels? Right. So you look at all these, you know, pro athletes out there that make these bombastic and stupid statements. And you're like, you know, when they're used to having their butt kissed all the time and everybody's telling them how great they are and stuff like that, they begin to feel entitled and like they get away with saying stuff like that. And they have absolutely no comprehension that the things that are coming out of their mouths might actually be hurting their brand. Well, and what's so interesting, too, is that so many people in our society are miserable, that are like that, right? They're miserable because we know that people always find joy when they find a purpose. Once we start giving back and sharing what we know and practicing that empathy, suddenly we're happier, right? So why is that? What is it about that? And I I just feel like that's just how we're wired. Like the minute we can give back to others, right? Suddenly we're feeling much better about life in general. We're not, you know, first of all, we're not living in a society like Aaron was just saying that promotes empathy. So we've got the culture of mass quantity, you know, getting your the culture of me. Getting your it's about what you know, I know, Botox and looking perfect and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. And now we've got, you know, COVID and isolation and we're stuck on our phones. And anyway, I don't need to explain all that. I mean, everybody knows that. Everybody knows there's a lack of connection. And that lack of connection can also promote the lack of empathy because you don't have to be narcissistic or all that stuff to to not have empathy because it's learned. It just could be something you just never learned, right? So if you're sitting on your phone all the time and you're never connecting with other people, you're not going to learn empathy. You can't learn empathy alone, right? So so there's, you know, it has to be developed. Sorry, go ahead. The best example is when you always hear these stories about New York City and somebody getting assaulted on the subway where everybody else in the subway car is watching. Mm. That's the perfect example of a lack of a lack of empathy as a society demonstrated what have you. Right, and, or somebody's filming it for Facebook or something crazy like that, right? Right, like the one time when the cop shot somebody on a traffic stop and the girlfriend was screaming at the cop, shooting the guy bleeding to death, uh, you know, shooting a Facebook video of the guy bleeding to death. Oh Naturally, God. the only thing the media cared about was the guy bleeding to death. But there was no conversation about why this girlfriend or this wife of this guy who allegedly loved him was filming him dying rather than trying to help him. Oh, my God. And she was screaming at the cop, you know, and it's just like, you know, she saw an opportunity to score political points. So she let her boyfriend bleed to death. Oh, my God. Yeah, that kind of that kind of stuff. And so and that could just be a complete mental disorder. Like you have no idea. But that's crazy. It reminds me. (laughs) It reminds me of that movie Nightcrawler. Uh, If you've ever seen that movie, you guys, you you, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, he's like he's like a reporter and he's trying to be first on the scene. And they just they give him stupid things like weather and stuff. But he's this total sociopath. So he starts making his own scenes. Anyway, you get the idea. It's crazy. It's a really good movie, though. People are desperate for attention. And so, (laughs) like, you know, 
Empathy is the opposite of what you see, see in society because you're giving attention to somebody else. And for those of you that are in recovery or have tried recovery and you hear some of these old timers say stuff like, well, if you want to keep it, you got to give it away. Yeah. That's yeah. the very definition of empathy, working with people and stuff like that. And I'm not talking about having some, you know, drunk, kid, drunk chick who's arguing with you about, well, I'm going to drive home and blah, blah, blah. No, that... When you're actually sitting down with somebody, you know, one-on-one or at a meeting and talk to them about how to get out of the morass where they're at or, or really getting to know them and trying to figure out what makes them tick, that's how the program teaches us empathy because you have to have empathy yeah. in order to be able to work with somebody and help them through their steps. And frankly, being being isolated creates more of the self-centered behavior and addiction creates that self-centered behavior. And when we're like that, we're really wrapped up in our own misery. And that's why they always say, hey, if you want to feel better, get out and help someone. And if we look back to the roots of AA, that's what Dr. Bill did with Dr. Bob, right? Because Dr. Bill goes to Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob, like so many doctors today, is a doctor who's an addict and he's, he, you know, and so they start to help each other and then they form this whole, you know, of course, Alcoholics Anonymous. Fellowship. And then, yeah, by 1939, he had written the 12 steps and it's all about helping each other. And so one of the biggest ways to develop empathy, of course, is to is to give back. And we see that that's why it is so important in addiction and mental health recovery. And there's a lot of reasons, right, that people don't have empathy or that they need to develop empathy, right? And we've, you know, we've talked about some of those things, but a lot of it is just addiction in general, right? I mean, like you were saying earlier, Aaron, I mean, if you started using and drinking when you're 14 years of age, chances are that you're self-medicating something. You know, there's a good chance you're- But you, you're also hiding. Exactly. You're, you're hiding. You also freeze. Your mm -hmm. emotional development yep. freezes in place and yep. what have you. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you're in your 30s or your 40s and you're in the big world. And if you've frozen yourself emotionally in your teens, there's no room- for empathy whatsoever, because when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, you're selfish by nature. I mean, that's just the way it is when you're a teenager. You don't get that popping sound until you get married, start having a family, or you get a job and you have to start dealing with other people and you realize, wow, being mommy and daddy's little princess doesn't work so well when I'm out here uh, you know, trying to manage a grocery store or trying to sell widgets. And then, of course, uh, you know, you're talking repeatedly about one of the sinister consequences of the COVID lockdowns and stuff like that. Technology in general has enabled people to just sit at home and yeah. be at home all day and work all day. I mean, look at us. We get to work all, you know, if mm -hmm. we didn't go out of our way to try to get interaction with other people, we wouldn't really have to leave the house very often. You, you know, and you can get really, really, you could turn insular or turn inward. So this is the brilliance about going to AA meetings participating in groups, going to church, doing a Bible study, that sort of thing, is that it forces interaction with other people, and you've got to learn who other people are and where they're at and stuff like that. And the mere act of doing that will force you to have uh, some empathy, you know? And if you find out, you know, when you're working with, with people or you're getting to know people that you really don't care who they are, you really don't care about their life or any of that kind of stuff— you may need to seek help because that could be indicated indicator of something else that's, that's wrong. 
Right. Because a natural byproduct for 99 and two-thirds percent of people that don't have a personality disorder is you start to develop some sort of care and regard for other people when you're out there in the real world interacting with people and stuff like that. Right. And the other thing, too, is, you know, we were talking about when people start using at a very young age, a lot of times they're self-medicating some kind of a trauma, some kind of a, like a personality disorder, some kind of a pain. Like for me, I was self-medicating an anxiety disorder. So if you have an anxiety disorder, you're always freaked out, worried what everybody's thinking. You're So that can create a lack of empathy. And then you throw the addiction on top of it. And now yourself medicating all your emotions again so a lot of times with recovery a lot of people come out of recovery and there's really just an emotional immaturity and it's okay everybody wants to pretend that they're giving loving and kind and the reality is yeah maybe you are maybe you've lost that part of yourself you can fix it, right? It's not the end of the world. I mean, you didn't have a lot of empathy, honey, and you had to fix it, you know? And so these are things that we can work on. You know, an example from my own life, when I got sober, I was very black and white. This wasn't because I was necessarily a narcissist. It was because I was emotionally immature and I had dealt with anxiety and I was always afraid of what other people thought of me. So if I'm always afraid of what you think, how can I really connect with you, right? And so there was an emotional immaturity. And as, as I began studying codependency and recovery and narcissism and all these sorts of things, I started to kind of notice a pattern where I would be very offended, right? Just easily offended, easily triggered, and very kind of black and white, like, oh, man, you you screwed me over, we're done. <laughs> you know, and it was kind of this black and white thing, which can often be just a sign of emotional immaturity. And as I began to see that in myself, I began to become a more integrated person where I began to sort of separate myself from people's intense beliefs or emotions and just listen and be like, okay, I'm okay. And, and a lot of that's just boundaries and codependency. Like I could just say, okay, that's cool. You believe that. I hear you, right? I hear what you're saying. Here's what I think and stuff like that to where I was able to fix that part of my personality, remain connected to you or to other people, even though there was disagreement. And so that's just really, I think, just emotional maturity that comes through healing. Certainly helped our marriage a lot um, uh, to get there, and I think— um... But we had that very opposite—you know, like I was super codependent, and you you weren't as empathetic as I was, and it was something for you that you kind of had to learn that well, because I mean, of the my, way that you in, were raised. In my, upgrade, <laughs> in my upbringing, showing mercy was a sign of weakness. I mean, that's, right? just how, that's just how it was. And that's very common for a lot of people, you know, showing mercy, apologizing, all that stuff is seen as a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. That's magnified even more because I do political work. And, you know, in that, in that neighborhood, you have to be very careful about the way you communicate, the way you interact with people because of the type of people that are, that are attracted to that community. And uh, I think for us, though, it was, um, I don't know, I think for me, it was at some point, I just made a decision I didn't want to be an asshole anymore. <laughs> and right. I didn't like people being afraid of me. I didn't like people tiptoeing around me, that that sort of thing like that. And mm-hmm. and 
and a lot of a lot of men especially get off on that and if if you're like that that's wrong and you need to stop because people should not tiptoe around you and they should not be afraid of you your wife or your girlfriend or your children should not have to kowtow to whatever you want that's crap and that's no way to live your life it's unfair and it's extremely selfish and empathy is the exact opposite of selfishness. And you'll find, by the way, when you give up control and you're willing to allow other people to be who they are, your life is so much more rich as a, as a, as a result. Like at this point in my life, I can call on all sorts of people if I need help with stuff, things of that nature. There's all sorts of people that'll be there for me. I didn't used to have that 20 years ago when I first, you know, got sober. And that's just because, like, you know, when you actually care about people, they'll actually care about you. And especially when you do things for people expecting nothing in return. Mm-hmm. And so even if it doesn't come naturally to you, you know, maybe you need to sit down with a counselor and talk about that, talk about what it looks like to you and maybe figure out how to practice some of this stuff and kind of do the old fake it till you make it. You yeah. Know, maybe go down and serve meals to homeless people and pick up trash on the side of the road and stuff like that. Those are a couple really easy things that you can do that are collect donations for the goodwill or things of that nature. Those are easy things you can do, and they're not really all that ticklish because you're not really having to interact with people. And then, you know, maybe from there, when it gets easy to do some volunteer work and some charitable work, then maybe you could start trying, you know, a few things in in relationships with other people and, and, you know, stopping to realize that these other people have a right to an opinion they have, a, a, you know, a, a right to their wants, desires, dreams, goals, that sort of thing. The, the other thing I think, too, that makes it even harder to learn empathy is that the word tolerance is bastardized to mean you have to accept and agree with another person's lifestyle. No, you don't. Tolerance means you know who that person is. You see who they are. You know how they're living and what they're doing. And you leave them be. Doesn't right. mean you have to agree with what they're doing or who they are. But it's that black and white thing that society has drawn up and, and has caused us all to be, you know, very tribalistic in terms like that of our thinking. That has to be cracked through. You can't, if you're a black and white person, you're going you're gonna to screw yourself out of a ton of relationships and you're going to keep yourself distant from people. And it's not necessary. It can be overcome. Maybe it takes a counselor. Maybe it takes sitting down in a Bible study or a support group of some sort and working through that. But literally... Empathy literally is live and let live. That's literally what empathy is. Live and let live. You know? Yeah, and you you know, you see this too in the recovery community where this is one of my goals of this show is to help people understand that there are different ways of healing. So a lot of times people get sober and the way they do it is the way everyone else has to do it. Does that make sense? And so sometimes I'll go on a forum and and I'll say, hey, I'm advocating for recovery. I believe addiction is a disease, but there's also a moral part of it. There's also a spiritual part of it, you know, things like that. I work for a clinic that provides methadone to people because detoxing from opioids is very, very difficult. And, and heroin, and a lot of people that try to abstain from heroin end up ODing and dying, where there's a higher success rate when they titrate or come down off of the heroin with methadone. Now, you talk to certain people in AA groups, and they will just scream and yell, like, you, you know, that's just substituting medicine with medicine, and everything's got to be Dr. Bob's way, and Dr. B-, you know, and, and you see this kind of 
again, that that lack of just looking at, hey, there's different ways to sobriety. There's different ways, you know, and anytime somebody is making a positive change in their life, we don't want to shame that. Right. So even going back to empathy, okay, maybe you recognize that you're an asshole, okay? (laughs) And you're trying to make some positive changes. That's a good thing. Any positive change towards health, towards recovery, however it works for you, is to be commended, right? It's a good thing. We we don't want to shame that. And so people that are struggling with with empathy and with addiction and with Right psychological problems or mental health problems, even narcissism, which is huge in our you know, society. It's like, okay, okay, just name it and claim it. It's okay. Now, what do we do about it, right? Sobriety is not religion or politics. So, sobriety, <laughs> so that's a good way to sum it up. I know. Sobriety is not religion or politics. If you talk to anybody of a given faith, they will tell you that their faith is the only way to find God and get to heaven. And actually, some religions don't believe in God. And if you talk about politics, the Republicans will say the Democrats are wrong, and the Democrats will say the Republicans are wrong. No, say it isn't so. It, well, actually, they lie, cheat, and steal to prove their point, too. But the but in sobriety, <laughs> you can't lie, cheat, or steal and stay sober. There's different higher powers. There's different pathways to sobriety. It's not this absolute black and white type of pattern, and that's how— Sobriety teaches people empathy because you're forced to accept the fact that everybody gets to do it their own way. And you're forced to accept the fact that, you know, other people get to vote. And that's when you're doing your ninth step and you're making amends. It's like, well, I have to really look at how I made this person feel. Well, that's absolutely the opposite of narcissism. And that's absolutely the definition of empathy is when you have to look at, you know, how you made somebody else feel and, um, you know, make amends to them and stuff like that. So, you know, that's the thing. I mean, for me, and it's been a process. I don't come by empathy naturally. The way I was raised, it was viewed as a weakness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, see, the difference here, and this is this whole, and I'll let you finish, but you you were raised in a more sort of, let's just say, narcissistic environment, where me, it was super, super codependent enmeshment, right? And so you kind of see these extremes a lot of time in a, a lot of times in addiction and recovery. And everybody's narcissist to some degree and everybody's codependent to some degree, right? Unless you have like a super severe personality disorder, then you're on one extreme or the other. The point is that integration, right? And so you often see this a lot of times in mental health and recovery is this sort of black and white where you're just living in extremes, right? And so growing up for me, there was codependency, there was there was fight or flight, passive aggressive. We either, you know, we 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 scream and yell and then we don't talk about it. You know, there wasn't any there wasn't any integration anywhere, right? You know what I'm saying? And so like for you, it was kind of almost the opposite extreme where you were supposed to be kind of what somebody else wanted you to be. So sometimes people when they come out of this environment, it doesn't mean that they don't have empathy or that they have a personality disorder or that they're narcissistic or something. They just learned it. Sometimes if you can't beat them, join them, right? You you kind of have this learned behavior. you have behavior. to defend yourself. And you had to, you have you to, had to unlearn yourself. that. You, you have know? to defend yourself from narcissists by being a narcissist yourself. Exactly. Um, because if they don't care about you, then you don't care about mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And that's your, that's your societal disease. You want to talk about a societal disease? That is a societal disease right there. You know, sit down, shut up. It's my way or the highway. 
you don't matter, I don't care about you, it's all about me. That is what needs to be broken because if you yeah. go through life living like that, you're going to die an empty shell. And, you know, you're going to always be wondering why nobody likes you or why I didn't get everything I wanted out of life and what have you. Well, maybe slowing down and stopping and saying, you know, maybe I'm part of this. And then stopping. And then, you know, the only thing you have to gain by being empathetic, by the way, is a whole bunch of really well healthy relationships. Yeah. I mean, what could, are, are you scared of the fact that somebody might not like you if you're honest with them? Are you afraid of the fact of, 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 you know, like getting in touch with your emotions and that sort of stuff? I mean, all that stuff is there and it's very real, the very real hangups and what have you. But empathy is a solution for a lot of the just the bad behavior that you see going on in society. So I think really the, the issue here is like live and let live. Learn how to actually care about what other people think and feel. Even if you don't really believe it, you do it intellectually and say, mm -hmm. okay, it's really important to this person to have pizza on Friday. So we're going to go have pizza on Friday, even though I don't like pizza. Right. And if you don't like pizza, that might be another mental disorder. But I digress. Yeah. But well, the fact of the matter is get in there and, like, do stuff, right? Uh, go through the motions and do stuff that's opposite to your selfishness until it becomes something you want to do and something that you do automatically. Right. And it's, again, we can learn how to do it. You know, there's people with sociopathic psychopathic personalities that are they call them um it's not the word's not high functioning but they're people that have learned this they understand how the world works and they understand i have to give to get does that make sense and so you know for people like that it's like and and they use what's called like contingency management which is basically rewards based when they're working with younger people that have these these tendencies these kind of antisocial tendencies where it's like if you do this you'll get this if you do this you'll get this it's basically like giving people stuff and you know and so that's why it's like it it, it could also be learned right because you could look at like if you want to give a if you want to live a good life and you want to get stuff <laughs> you have to at least practice empathy or fake it, right? And here we are married 15 some odd years and you're coming up on 17 years of sobriety and I've got 19 and a half years of sobriety. And at some point, obviously, we got a few of these things right. Exactly, exactly. And of course, I'm not suggesting fake it. I'm just saying that for people that struggle with it, that's, you know, that's a good starting point. But why don't some people have empathy, right? So we talked about just emotional immaturity, um, we also talked about, I think, how addiction re rewires your brain. So one of the things it does is it hijacks your reward pathway. So what that means is it releases a bunch of chemicals like dopamine and stuff like that. And so when you have sex, when you eat, when you do stuff like that, you release dopamine, right? And that's how God wired us. Why do you think we release chemicals when we eat? So we don't starve to death, right? So we're motivated to eat. We're motivated to reproduce. Well, when you're um, in heavy in an addiction, your brain gets flooded with dopamine, totally flooded. And so you pretty soon that's all that matters. And you actually think, if I don't get this drug, I'm going to die. I can't survive without it. So what happens? Very, very bad selfish behavior because you're going to do anything to get it. You're going to sell your kids. You're going to 
not pay the rent. You're going to lose jobs. Your quality of life's going to deteriorate. And so that's one of the ways we experience a lack of empathy is when we're lost in that addiction and that selfishness and how we're treating other people. And so that's where getting sober, the making amends is huge. We also talked about other like anxiety disorders and stuff that need to be treated because if you're if you're have so much social anxiety, it's really hard to even connect, right? Or or listen to people or you know, because we're so afraid of what and so in some ways anxiety having an anxiety disorder or depression or stuff like that, in some ways it can make us more empathetic, but in some ways it can make us so self focused that we're losing empathy. And so there's that. And then there's also the whole concept of what's called whole object constancy or whole object relations, it's the ability to remain connected with someone like for you and I, honey, to remain connected even though we disagree. If someone has a personality disorder like narcissism, chances are they don't have what's called whole object constancy or whole object relations. Not everybody believes that it's kind of a a Freudian thing, but I know you and I have seen it, and I tend to believe in this theory. But basically, it's generally comes from childhood trauma, childhood abuse, things like that is what it is, where if your caregiver was very inconsistent, right, if basically they loved you one minute and then told you you were useless and beat you, that kind of a thing, where it's like an attachment issue. So you... you begin to split your personality off, right, to where that person's either either really good or either really bad, and then you internalize a lot of the shame. There's a therapist who talks about this a lot. Her name's Eleanor Greenberg. She says what is meant by whole object relations is the ability to form an integrated, realistic, and relatively stable image of oneself and other people that simultaneously includes both liked and disliked aspects and also strengths and flaws. If you do not have whole object relations, you can only see yourself and other people in a split and unnuanced way as either all good or all bad. It is as if you had to sort all your experiences with yourself and other people into two buckets, the all good bucket and the all bad bucket. She says a lack of whole object relations and object constancy is a characteristic of people who are diagnosed with personality disorders. So, for example, from an object relations theoretical point of view, the main difference between simply having narcissistic traits versus qualifying for a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder is based on the narcissistic person's lack of whole object relations and whole object constancy. So what that basically means is, can you stay connected to someone when there's disagreement. So this is why people that have a personality disorder or narcissism, this is why they can do such horrible things. Because when you're on their good side, you're perfect, wonderful, and beautiful. And then when you cross them, they can they can attack you, beat the heck out of you, you know, all that stuff. And just all of a sudden, you are, you know, just the spawn of Satan. There's no in-between. And so... With that lack of empathy and that lack of whole object relations, it's it's like not only do they see other people in black and white terms, they see themselves in black and white terms. 
And that drives a psychotic spiral even even further. It does. It does. And it can and be fixed. You know, a lot of people say, but oh, But for there's... most of us that don't really have it that severe, mm -hmm. the simple solution is learn how to live and let live. Mm -hmm. You live and let live. But this is what it actually means in a practical term. Like she's reading the, the psychological manual about, you know, people who refuse to let other people live and let live. For the For most of us, Learning how to just be tolerant of people and, and letting them be who they are and working with them right where they're at mm -hmm. and dealing with them right where they're at. Like, my gosh, every day in life, I deal with dozens of people that I know are alcoholics, but yeah. they still have a stake and they still have a say in these things that I'm trying to accomplish. And so I have to work with them right where they're at, even though I know that they're a ticking time bomb and at some point, you know, they're going to they're gonna disappear. So anyway, I hope the like, at least for my wife and I, you know, it was things like toilet seat up, toilet seat down, you know, the cabinet door shut, dishes in the sink, you know, where do we put the dirty clothes, who does the laundry, you know, when do we vacuum, who does that kind of stuff, just like letting it work itself out on the natural rather than getting butt hurt and trying to control it and arguing over it, stuff like that, was really one of the areas in our marriage where we actually practice empathy without even realizing that it was that because we just let each other, you know, come into these roles and so forth. And as a result, it contributed to the harmony of our marriage. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't easy. You know, it, it took a lot of work. And so all these things that we're talking about, developing empathy, whether it's just that it was learned, that, you know, that you struggled with it, or that there was maybe some emotional immaturity, that there was maybe um, uh, some mental health issues like anxiety and stuff, all that stuff can be fixed, even severe you know, personality disorders and narcissism and stuff through through psychotherapy and working through your own emotions and your own feelings if and you your own shame. Goal. If you, you make it a goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. If you make it a goal to learn empathy, mm -hmm. it's going to solve a lot of problems for you in your recovery. Absolutely. And some of the ways to do that are, of course, right, you know, getting help, a lot of the stuff we talk to, making sure that you're not isolated, right? You've, you've got to get out there and you've got to connect with other people. And, and practicing good boundaries. The, one of the things that helped me the most, uh, you know, because a lot of times if you're, if you're super, super empathetic to where you're feeling everyone else's feelings, it can almost become narcissistic because everything they say could trigger you, right? Does that make sense? And so I had a, um, she was actually a therapist say to me, she said, imagine like an imaginary piece of plastic in between you and the other person. And so where you're, you're being you and they're being them, in a way, this can actually help with empathy because now we're able to separate ourselves and we're really able to listen. Does that make sense? So listen and observe. So don't get so emotionally into it with other people. Just listen and observe. Try to put yourself into their point of view like, okay, okay, I'm talking to this person and I don't like what they're saying. <laughs> like they're, you know, we're talking about politics and I'm getting very upset because I don't agree, right? And so you just listen and you try to figure, okay, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And the more we do it, you know, the, the easier it becomes, right? And so, so just being connected, noticing things around you, like you said, live and let live. So those are some of the great ways to help yourself develop empathy. Life can only get better. 
So thank you so much for hanging out, friends. Thanks for listening. I hope that this was helpful to you. Don't forget that you can reach out to me, Genuine Life with Jody Stevens on Facebook. And if you leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening through, that would be awesome. And you can also find this program by clicking podcasts right there on my website at jodystevens.org. So thanks, friends, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.